Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. I'm Janet Marana, Executive Director of Priest for Life. Welcome to our program. You know, and as the title says, like, can you practice a vice virtuously? No, you can't. And today on the program, we're going to tell you why. Well, joining me today is pro-life leader Frank Pavone. Welcome to the program. Hi, Janet. Good to be here. Great to have you. You know, and we've always said, you know, the other side talks about abortion as health care and it's good for women. But we've spent decades uh, really working to expose, you know, bring the light into the darkness of the abortion industry, how unscrupulous they are. And this is not health care for women, right? It's the most corrupt, unregulated industry in the nation. Right. Uh, the, the abortion industry is a cesspool. Uh, the people that work there, the conditions under which they work, what, they, what these uh, moms and dads who go there are subject to, it's a cesspool. And the more you dig, the more you find. But the other side always tries to cover it over in platitudes. It's like what the Lord talked about, whitewashed tombs. This is what the abortion clinics are, whitewashed tombs. And the level of, uh, and the extent of, of malpractice, mistreatment, uh, just unscrupulous behavior, filth, both physically and, and spiritually, it's something that we've, it's documented, well, if, if it's documented, and we've yeah. seen it face to face. Well, if the health department actually ever went in and expect, inspected abortion clinics all over our nation, a lot of them would be shut down. I yes, mean, there's more yes. violations in these abortion clinics than there are in some restaurants, and, and they shut down restaurants like this mm -hmm. if they have violations. But the abortion clinics, well, um, they get scot-free. The, view, the viewers might remember the Kermit Gosnell situation, exactly. which we were very involved in. We were in the courtroom. And exactly. we remember, remember tell, tell them about the, the, the chair. That, that that you saw. I mean, they brought this it, chair we in. We saw from the his equipment in the courtroom, and the chair was dilapidated. The leather was ripped. Uh, it was terrible. But it was and covered with gook. Gook. In the, 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 yes. Remember that ventilator machine? Oh, that, that it was horrible. Horrible. Anyway, that's just one factor. And just, you know, the, here's a little piece of good news. Uh, here in Florida, up in Orlando, uh, we have a law here in Florida that says, uh, I call it like a women's right to know, there's a waiting period, 24 hours. So if a woman goes into an abortion clinic today, they're not supposed to do the procedure on her the same day. Guess what the Department of Health found out? Abortion clinic up in uh, Orlando, Florida, 193 violations they cited them for. 193 times they found records where the patient came in, the abortion, the woman was aborted the same day violated the law, they have now fined them to a total of $193,000. Of course, the abortion clinic is whining. These fines will put us out of business, and they're, they have a lawyer trying to fight, of course, the state to say this is unjust, but I hope justice prevails. But I, you know, I was just hopeful that finally someone really checked into the abortion industry there to, they to say, are they following the law? Because we know they don't. They might want to try, like, following the law, Yeah, you know, obeying the law. That mm -hmm. might be the s easiest solution, right. you know, out of this problem or this threat of going out of business. Uh, but they can't. And, no. and see, that's the, the, the issue behind the question, can you practice vice virtuously? You can't. 
and, and, and let's, let's explain what we mean. Here you're talking about 24-hour waiting period. And, of course, we know that so many of these moms are under pressure right. to get their abortion. They're in a moment of panic. Give yourself 24 hours. Consider some other information. Uh, and you make a, a you know, they're all, they say they're all in favor of choice. No, they're not. Mm-mm. They're in favor of the choice of abortion. Right. But if you were really in favor just of choice, you would say, well, why not? We'll make schedule sure it's you the for most, tomorrow. Make mo- sure this is what you want to do. That's yeah, make it like the that. most informed choice. Yeah. And it just but shows you, you there's another case, by the way, in Virginia. Virginia has a parental consent law, meaning the par- parents, if it's a minor, have to consent to the abortion. And there's a, it's actually going through the courts now as we speak. Uh, uh, parents are suing the abortion clinic and the school district mm-hmm. because the student was taken off without the parents' knowledge to have an abortion. Yeah. So, you they, know. They, well, there's two things going on here. One is just corruption. You can't practice vice virtuously because if your conscience is so dark that you can tear a baby, a living baby apart limb right. from limb, mm-hmm. what are you going to care about? Waiting periods, proper documentation of patients' records, insurance fraud. What are you going to care about all those things? You're tearing a baby apart. So there's the corruption of the conscience. The other reason is they really think, these abortion promoters, that abortion is a fundamental right. If it's a fundamental right, then they say, well, there's no, there's no justification to either deny it or even delay it. They'll look at the 24-hour mm-hmm. period. Oh, that's too much of a burden. It's a fundamental right, which means it should be delivered to them on a silver platter here and now on demand, no exceptions, no questions asked. That's how they treat abortion. Well, recently, you know, I got to have an interview with someone who worked. First of all, she herself had an abortion, okay? And then she went to work in an abortion industry and now has come to become pro-life and fully out. Let's listen right now to that interview. It was, I'm telling you, a very eye-opening from someone who, you know, believed from the horse's mouth. She worked as a receptionist in, in an abortion clinic. So let's listen to my good friend, Kelly Lester. So how did you, after that abortion experience, become someone who worked in the abortion industry? So I actually had that abortion experience after I left the abortion industry. I I worked in the abortion industry right after I'd had my first abortion. So back to something earlier that you said a little bit, I was a child who was molested at three years old. I was raped um, as a freshman in high school. That led me to be very promiscuous. I got pregnant at 15 and I had my first abortion. Those earlier experiences did not throw me into drugs and into eating order, eating disorders. But when I had my first abortion, that threw me into drugs and into eating disorders and into abusive relationships and all kinds of things. And so I was living a chaotic life of drug dealing and um, just all kinds of depravity and wanted to get out of that crazy lifestyle. And so I looked for a job. Um, I had was a I, I didn't graduate college, so I didn't have a college degree. I was working in bars and, and again, selling drugs. And so I looked and found that a local women's clinic was hiring for a receptionist. And I went to the address. This was back when we looked for jobs in the newspaper. I went to the address in the newspaper, and sure enough, it was where I'd had two abortions. And so I walked in, and I got hired on the spot because they remembered me and knew that I was, you know, friendly to their cause. And um, because I was young and I was inexperienced, they knew that they could mold me and shape me into what they wanted me to be. Um, They could ask me to do things that I would probably find morally um, against and certainly legally that were not appropriate. But because they were paying me $18 an hour 20 years ago, 
Um, and because of my situation, I was a perfect victim to fall into the abortion industry as a worker. And so wow. I got hired as the receptionist and um, did many things that a receptionist should not be doing, including dispensing the chemical abortion, in including when women came in for their report ID, I would take their money and then I would hand them a cup with Valium and water. And I was not licensed to do that and not supposed to do that. Um, I was also over the recovery room. And so when women, and again, at, at the clinic that I was at, the majority of people had the sedation appointment, um, you were supposed to check O2 levels, blood pressure, all of these different things to make sure that after they've had their appointment, that they are cleared to leave. And we didn't do any of those things. My job, again, as the receptionist was to go into that room at 20 minutes after their procedure to hand them cookies, juice, a bag with their clothes, um, birth control, if they were getting that and the, the procedure. Um, and again, that was as the receptionist. I had no, I wasn't a nurse. I wasn't a doctor. I wasn't an EMT. I don't even think I knew how to do first aid or CPR at that time. Um, but that was responsibilities, which I happily did because they were paying me such good money. And you know, Kelly, when you think about it, I just took my, my dogs uh, to the vet. I have three Shih Tzus, right? And when you take your animal to a veterinary clinic, yes, the assistant, they'll help put the dog and weigh them and, and prep the dog and whatever. In comes the vet. Only the veterinarian gives them their rabies shot or their even the bordadella uh, thing goes in their mouth. The, the assistant doesn't do that. Only the doctor. So dogs and cats are cared for better in veterinary clinics than women are in abortion clinics based on what you just said. Yeah, I mean, you you said earlier that it's you know abortion is considered health care, and what other kind of health care does a medical professional do a service, do a procedure? Let's say you're going to go get your tubes tied. Your doctor is not going to tell you if there's a complication from your surgery. Go to the emergency room and tell them that you had your appendix taken out. That doctor is going to say if there's a complication, if you have bleeding or swelling or temperature or anything come back to us and let us fix you. Or if you have to go to the emergency room, tell them exactly what happened. With the chemical procedure and even the surgical procedure, they are recommending that if women have a complication, that they go to the emergency room and tell them that they are having a miscarriage. Not that they had an abortion and that they are having complications. Not that they had any of these. Go to them and tell them that you are having a miscarriage. The other thing is the reason that I left the abortion industry, what other medical procedure would, if there was a complication, would they not tell you? And the reason that I left was because in the recovery room, the number of women that were hemorrhaging from perforated bowels, perforated uteruses. And when that happened, we would take these women back to their procedure room. We would give them more sedation and then we would quote unquote fix whatever was wrong, which really just meant stop the bleeding. We would send them out and we would release them and never tell them what had happened to them. Now, I've had a couple of knee surgeries and in those surgeries, in one of them, there was a complication. It happens sometimes in medical procedures. But when it happened, the doctor sat down with me and said, during your procedure, this happened and that happened and we had to do this. And because of that, we want you to, you know, that was explained to me fully because of that, we want this follow up. These women are never being told what happened to them.
So these women are not only terminating their pregnancy that day, but many of them are ending the potential of them ever being able to become mothers because they are not getting follow-up care. And what other medical procedure or medical profession would that ever be allowed? That would be malpractice through and through and through. Informed, that is not informed consent. And so the fact that the abortion industry is the only quote unquote healthcare provider that gets away with those kinds of things and nobody sees that it's weird. Everybody's going, why is this? This doesn't make sense. If abortion is healthcare, then these women should be, you know, be playing with their providers. They should be getting up follow-up care. And that's not happening. Um, and in fact, within the abortion industry, follow-up appointments are no longer standard, whether it's a surgical abortion or a chemical abortion. And that's for one reason. Well, actually, it's two reasons. One, you don't make any money on the follow-up appointment. And two, if you come in with a complication, we then have to document it. Whereas if we send you out to an emergency room for follow-up care, we don't have to document it. And so it doesn't end up being a strike us. And so we're just yeah. not seeing it. So now Kelly, you had said in your training as the receptionist, um, yeah. they taught you to lie. Now we also, we just heard one lie about, mm -hmm. you know, sending them off to the emergency room and all that. But were there other things they told you like in the training, like don't say this or say that? What, what are the kind of lies uh, did they have you tell you to do? Well, absolutely. Everything. So we were taught and we were trained that when a woman is coming into our facility, we are to assume that abortion is the answer for her, that it is the only option, that it is the best choice. And it's really the choice that she's already made. We just want to make it easier for her. And so one of the things that I was in charge of was called editing magazines. And so I would go through all of the magazines in the waiting room and I would edit out any pictures of babies wedding rings, anything that might cue her maternal instinct. And we would cut those pictures out. We would, we had a video on the TV that looked like they were watching live TV, but again, we had edited out any kind of commercial or anything that might cue that because we didn't want that to happen to her. And so, you know, the, the other thing was, with the guys, we would have guys that would come. This was in the state of Virginia. So at that time there was a 24 hour waiting period. So you would come for your first consultation and then 24 hours later you would come back for your appointment. And so guys, a lot of times would come for that initial appointment. And when the woman would go back in the back, we would turn the heat extremely hot or the air conditioning very, very cold because we wanted him to get up and leave the waiting room. Because when she came out, we didn't want him there waiting for her. Because sweetheart, if he won't even wait for you for this appointment, what makes you think he will be there for a child? And that is like such a manipulative thing. And, and I see, you know, I say that now and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I can't even believe I did that. But you have to understand again, I was those women. And it was framed to me and said to me, Kelly, you know how hard this decision is. We want to make it as easy as possible for her because we believe that that was what we did. Everything was tailored to that. Um, I even would try to fill the books. So if a woman had called to make an appointment or had called to get information, I would always get their name and their phone number in case we got disconnected. And then if she didn't make an appointment or if she didn't show up for an appointment, I would call her back and try to get her in because we wanted to fill the books to have as many appointments as possible because that was where we made our money.
brothers and sisters, does that not shock you? I mean, look at the things Kelly said. First of all, like she said, she had no more than a high school diploma. Mm -hmm. She was paid $18 an hour, and that was like 20 years ago. That was high pay back then. And all the scheming and lying they made her do to these women, the control of the waiting room, the, the magazines ripping out pictures of, of wedding or engaged couples or baby diaper commercials mm -hmm. out of the magazines. I mean, the manipulation and the lying. And that's what finally made her leave the abortion industry was the lying. Mm -hmm. It started to fester and bother her that she said, well, this isn't good health care for women. Why are they lying? Well, you're disrespecting somebody if yeah. you keep feeding them false information. And then, and then yeah. finally she said, I just can't do this anymore because this, she, she went to work in the abortion industry, A, because she needed a job, and B, because she thought she was helping women. And when, the, and when she saw all the lies catching up to her, she said, no, I just can't do this anymore. Yeah. And of course, then she's now working with our dear friend, Abby Johnson, who also came out of the abortion industry with the ministry called And Then There Were None. Well, I helped Abby along the road of healing and helped her to establish that, that ministry because we had worked, you and I together, we had been trained by Dr. Philip Ney right. in helping ex-abortionists and abortion clinic workers. And we also worked with Mark Crutcher, who had a whole outreach to the clinic workers. Well, it was and called clinicworkers.com. It's still, it's still available. Right. Um, we have seen this pattern countless times. Right. I mean, it's the same pattern across the country. Uh, the, the lies, in fact, when you go into the abortion industry, you know, you're, you have layer upon layer of, of lies that you begin telling yourself and you begin telling these women who come for the procedure, lies about the baby, lies about the procedure, lies about everything else. And some people, they just, it, uh, it bothers them so much that, you know, this is one of the reasons that, uh, they, this is one of the reasons they leave. We're not made to lie and we're not made to kill. All right. So you see a worldwide organization that Dr. Ney established of former abortion clinic workers and abortionists right. who have become pro-life. Mm -hmm. You do not find organizations of former pregnancy center directors who, who become, have become pro-abortion. No, you don't no, find that because no. we never get tired of saving lives and serving in love and in truth. We do get tired of lying and killing. That's why in the abortion industry, the biggest problem they've had for decades, and they've admitted it, is turnover. Right. Right? Staff they don't last very long. No, they can't keep them very and, long. I remember, you know, one of the people we ministered to, she's since passed away, is Joan Appleton. Remember, she administered abortion facilities in Virginia. I always remember her saying, because she worked with us too, with the Society of Centurions and helping these former workers. She said, you know, there's, there's, you go into work in one of these places and you end up in one of three reactions. You get those who go in there, they see the evil, and um, they can't take it. They leave right away. There are others who see the evil and uh, they're conflicted. And, and these people live in all kinds of distress, conflict. They engage in substance abuse, you know, and it weighs them down. Right. And then she said, you've got a third type. They see the evil and they worship it. And these are the hardcore. Those are the very hardcore. Uh, they, they, some those, of them are, some of them. Those are the doctor, like the Hermit Gosnells and uh, the 
the George Tillers and these guys who really, you now, know. Now, Gosnell, you know, some people might remember back in 2013. I mean, he, we talked about the dirty equipment in the courtroom, but it was a whole lot worse than that. I mean, he had body parts in the refrigerator and milk cartons and just and cat, what? cats. He, he had a whole row of baby feet in jars, like trophies. He was sick. He was, and, and, and thank God now, I mean, this is record-breaking that, and people shouldn't forget, we finally got an abortionist in jail for life. In jail for life, which is uh, unfortunately the exception rather than the rule. Of and the grand jury in in uh, Philadelphia, they, they were outraged. You read that report, they were outraged at the level of filth and, and unprofessionalism and just abuse that was going on there in right. that. Now, our friends at uh, American United for Life put out this book called Unsafe. Now, this is... This documents across 32 states for a number of years, hundreds and hundreds of violations of health and safety standards because you can't practice vice virtuously. Like we said, if, if your conscience is so flawed that you'll kill a baby, you're going to do other, all kinds of other things okay, besides. You are. <laughs> um, so uh, what are, what we, when we say there's violations, okay, the top 10. Failure to ensure a safe and sanitary environment. Failure to accurately document patient records and keep that information confidential. Number three, failure to make sure that staff are properly trained. These clinics will hire high school students. Oh. And they'll be administering anesthesia. And talk about the anesthesia. records. Wasn't there an abortionist in Michigan that they found his patient records in the yeah. trunk of his then, car? Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or in well, the dumpster. In yeah. the dumpster. I mean, yeah. that's not uh, yeah. keeping the records confidential. Not, they're not confidential at all. Mm-hmm. Unlicensed, unqualified, or untrained staff providing patient care. That's number four. Number well, five. you heard Kelly say yeah. she was behaving like a nurse. That's right. Or Joy Davis, whom I helped when she came out of the abortion industry. She administered six facilities, dressed in a white jacket. Oh, hi, I'm Dr. Davis. She said to me, I never spent a day in medical school. People have to understand this is the norm, not the exception. Number five, expired medications and medical supplies. Number six, failure to purchase and maintain required equipment. Number seven, failure to adopt, follow, or review health and safety protocols. Eight, failure to properly handle medications. Nine, failure to p- comply with physical plant standards, like the hallway not being wide enough for the, for the gurney, gurney to, to go through. through. Mm-hmm. And number 10, failure to monitor vital signs. That, that's one of the things that happened with Gosnell. He right. killed a woman. Right. And, and, and uh, let's put it this way. This was one of the women he killed, the one he, she, he was convicted for killing. And that was one of the problems. They weren't p- properly monitoring the vital signs. But, you know, to go into some examples more deeply, failure to follow protocols for something as simple as hand washing, single-use vials being used multiple times, vaginal probes not being disinfected between uses. I mean, is these the kind of places people want to go to? That thing we know is for certain because we've had abortionists who have come out of the abortion industry have told us, and I think Joy Davis was one of the people, who said in order to do so many abortions, one ray after the other, because in order to sterilize the instruments, mm-hmm. it has to go into this, this sterilizing device. It takes time, sometimes it, it, over it, it, an it, hour, uh, uh, right. that those instruments have to be sterilized before they get used on the next person. Yeah. 
And she said, oh, no, I would just rinse them off and into we the We didn't sterilize them. Yeah, she, we never sterilized never the sterilized. instruments. Never sterilized. They those would rinse her, them off in water. Those, those her were words. her exact her words, words to right. me, right. Yeah. Um, this booklet has, you know, 62 abortion facilities in 16 states fail to properly handle medications and correctly document the administration of these medications. Um, failure to properly store narcotic drugs. I mean, this is on and on it goes. Now, this is a more recent publication. Going back to the early days, oh, yes. we got started in 1993 with, with Priest for Mark Life. Crutcher. So we were with God Mark Crutcher. Soul, but Lime 5. We helped put this together. Exactly. Yep. Now, Lime 5, that's a code name for a client at an abortion facility, uh -huh. right? But this does the same thing as unsafe. Mm -hmm. Documents. Everything in here is documented, whether it's court records, news reports, of malpractice. In the abortion clinics, the, by the way, these are safe and legal clinics. These are not the back alleys we're talking about. Right. Which are well, not we the back alleys. The these difference are not the between back. back alley and today is they just took the shingle off the back door and put it on the Yeah, when door. Roe v. Wade came down. When Roe v. That's Wade all. came down. That's all. Right. And you know, talk about lying to the women. Remember our dear friend Norma McCorvey, who was the Jane Roe of Roe v. Wade, right. who was pro abortion, never had an abortion herself, but she did work in the abortion industry. Remember the, one of the reasons that helped her get out? Yeah. She got tired. She why said, are they lying to these why women? Why are they lying? Yeah. And she, they didn't like the, the, what she was doing because she would say to them things like, now are you sure you're going to have this abortion to kill your baby? You know you sure what they're going to do to you your baby? You know what they're going to do yeah. to your baby? Are you sure you want to do that? Right. She wasn't good at selling abortion. She wasn't <laughs> at all. <laughs> she had too much of a respect for truth. Exactly. 19-year-old exactly. Crystal had an abortion. Afterwards, she was hospitalized serious but stable condition with a perforated uterus, a severed uterine artery, and a lacerated bladder. She had requested an ambulance three times before leaving the clinic on her own. These, these abortion clinics, they don't care. They care more about negative publicity because an ambulance is in front right. of the place than they care about the life of the woman. Well, see, that's if you remember what Kelly said, Kelly uh, Lester said, yes, we didn't... Uh, take them to the emergency room. We didn't call the ambulance. We told them to go to the emergency mm. room because we didn't want it being tracked on us this as a negative. This is constant, constant pattern, constant, constant pattern. Katie, age 27, went to the University of Illinois Hospital for infertility tests, at which time it was discovered that her uterus contained fetal bone fragments from two abortions she had had eight and nine years earlier. Now, to me, it's amazing that they stayed in there without, you know, even more serious infection. And, well, and we and, also and know uh, moms of daughters who their daughters died. We know them, the families. The That's families right. Of, exactly. Of these, these girls. And uh, I remember the one family, she said, yeah, the last step my daughter took in life was onto that abortionist right. table. Right. So there's incompetence and unscrupulous behavior in performing the procedure. Right. The abortionist, one of the abortionists Joy worked for, she told me, you know, he would deliberately inflict more pain on these women. He said, because he hated women. Deliberately inflicted more pain. But listen to this. These people are, one of the chapters in line five is called Vacant Souls. And we, again, we know this firsthand by ministering to so many of these people. But listen about this abortionist. Known to be exceptionally inattentive during procedures, with witnesses testifying that he would, quote, operate with one hand and eat a tuna fish sandwich with the other Ugh. and talk to his stockbroker 
on the phone. People should not think that this is any kind of exaggeration. This is the kind of people what we're, that we're dealing well, with. Here. We also know from the testimonies of the women from Silent No More who've come through healing and talk about their experiences. Number one, they didn't meet the doctor until they were on the table with their feet in the stirrups. That's right. They didn't know his name, even his name. Since when do you have a medical procedure that you don't even know the this name of the doctor? This is a complete stranger. Complete stranger to yeah. them. And there's also testimonies where they said the doctor called them names, was insulting. Well, there's a whole chapter in here about the sexual abuse. Yeah. If you think about it, these women are in an exceptionally vulnerable position because the abortionists, well, a lot of them they'll sexually abuse when they're under the influence of the anesthesia anyway, so they don't even remember or know what happened to them. But even if they do, what are they going to go tell somebody later on? Right. Oh, yeah, well, I was sexually abused. Oh, where? What, in an abortion clinic. They don't want to tell people they had an abortion. No, no. So the sexual abuse in a place that they don't want to tell anybody that they were is much harder to, much harder to fight against. So listen to these people. Here's another abortionist. Um, he had a fetus wrapped inside of blue paper. He stuck it inside of a surgical glove and put another glove over it. He was standing in the hall speaking with me and two of his assistants. He was just tossing the fetus up in the air and catching it like a rubber ball. Remember Mark also told us a story, we've got it in some of these, these, these documentations too, of wishbone. Remember the game Wishbone? You take the chicken bone like a V and you, you, you hold right. pieces of it up, yeah, see who gets the longer piece. Right. Mm -hmm. they, they did this with the bones of the babies. Oh, that's terrible. Here's another one. A, a Texas abortionist struggled through a particularly difficult abortion. The patient's mother returned to the abortion clinic upset and angry. She brought in a milk carton containing a three-inch fetal head that her daughter had passed after she had massaged the girl's abdomen to alleviate her pain. Now, here's one of what one of the employees said. This was going to reminiscent of what you said about Gosnell. I remember the eyes were bulging. That's when I decided to quit. And then another employee opened the refrigerator a couple of weeks later and found that same milk carton there, still containing the head, with a sign taped to it saying, Hi, do you remember me? Oh and it had gosh. been left as a homecoming surprise for another employee who had been away on vacation. That's terrible. This is the sickness. I mean, you think about it. How can you practice vice virtuously, right? What, the, what has to happen to your conscience? Oh, it's very in dull. Order to, it's very dull. In order to kill babies. Yeah. What's yeah. Gotta, it's got to get so deformed, mm -hmm. and that's why this, this where this behavior comes from. That's right. They're so sick. All right, so if someone, first of all, I think this is kind of like a warning to those who pray outside the abortion clinics. Mm -hmm. Your 40 Days for Life is going to kick off soon in, the, in September. Mm -hmm. um, to say to people, listen, if you see something, say something. But yeah. maybe they don't know who to go to or what to do. Right? Yeah. What would you recommend? Right. Well, first of all, keep, keep uh, get videotape as much as you can. Keep accurate notes. Uh, and then start off with your the local authorities and see what, what you know laws differ from state to state. Medical boards have right. certain degrees of authority, mm -hmm. uh, or, or or just uh, you know sometimes there might be evidence of um, of uh, laws being broken in terms of sexual abuse of minors. You see a minor be going in there, right. accompanied by an older man. 
you you report they report that to the local authorities. You right. don't have to investigate it. No. You don't have to be sure. No, you, you just have to suspect. Suspect. Well, also too, if if they hear of someone who was really injured in an abortion clinic or a problem, they should be in touch with us because we know the pro-life attorneys who can take these cases and litigate them mm -hmm. and bring justice. Right. Mm -hmm. We do. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, great discussion. And then well, suppose someone knows someone who wants to leave the abortion industry. Uh, what's the website they can go to? Well, we have societyofcenturians.com. And Society of Centurions, because the centurion at the cross participated in the killing of Jesus but then repented, that's what these people have done. They participated so in killing their dependents. Yeah, and we're able to help them. You and I have been trained. That's right. Uh, Dr. Ney is still in contact with us, and um, there's help available. Well, thank you for such an eye-opening discussion. Yes, indeed. Well, brothers and sisters, thank you, too, for joining us. And remember, there are some abortions only you're going to be able to stop and some lives only you will save. Join us again next time. Thank you. God bless. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.